0: Hi, I'm Joan Hogan welcoming you to the Prairie Doc Radio Program. Rick Holm, our Prairie Doc, is here in the studio ready to answer your questions of a medical nature. Dr. Holm's specialty is internal medicine. He's worked with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and has served as a clinical professor at the University of South Dakota Sanford School of Medicine. Good morning, Rick.
1: Good morning, Joan Hogan.
0: Good to see you today.
1: Yes, it's good to be seen.
0: (laughs) All
1: right. <laughs> it always is. It's good to see you.
0: Yes. And we, we don't have our dear Bob here with us today. He's off on his road trip.
1: Yes. Well sh- we don't know what he where he's going and he doesn't know either.
0: Jay is <laughs> handling the uh the radio today. Jay do you have
1: any clue to where no. he knows where no. Jay <laughs> told me that
0: they probably didn't even take phones with them. Oh <laughs> he my said, gosh. I'll bet you anything they're just on the road having a good time and not going to let anyone know where they are which is just fine but we're happy to have jay here because i don't think i could do this without somebody handling the, yeah. the board you know yes. he's got the keyboard going and we appreciate that so we're off on a new program it's july uh you know what one thing we've never discussed is this month or this summer is how to stay healthy in the summer you have any thoughts How to avoid accidents or...
1: Well, we can talk about heat illness and we can talk about, uh, you know, mosquitoes and the bugs and we can talk about uh, the lack of exercise because you stay inside because it's too hot and you have your air conditioning running or or too much exercise because you're going for a bike ride that's too much further than you've biked for a long, long time and you stretch something you pull something or you hurt something and so we've got a there's a there's a bunch of things that we can talk about and we can also talk about tomorrow night's show which is all about the shoulder
0: okay well maybe since you suggested all of these ideas yeah should we possibly just go to a break and if someone wants to call and say talk about this
1: we would really like your calls let's let's follow your calls please give us a call
0: okay thanks so much and we will be back right after these words Hi, welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. Happy to have you listening today. Dr. Rick Holm is here, ready to answer any questions you might have of a medical nature. We haven't had a question come in yet, but uh, in the absence of questions, we are going to talk about tomorrow night's television program. On right, Call with the Prairie Doc is on at 7 o'clock on South Dakota Public Television. It's at 7 o'clock on Thursday nights. And during the summer, they use reruns. So the program that's on tomorrow tomorrow night... Will be one that did run in October mm-hmm. of last year, and it has two really fine guests talking really about shoulder yes. problems. Right. Can you tell us well, about Pete the program? Well,
1: Lu- Pete Luby and Keith Baumgarten, and they are shoulder uh, experts. The two of them do a lot of shoulder uh, surgeries, and uh, so it was a fascinating show. Uh, he he marched us through a, a particular procedure. Uh, as we were videoing uh his doing the procedure you know uh, which would
0: be cool to see right
1: it's really cool yeah and uh you know i i think pete and keith are really two really easy to talk to very nice uh doctors that are experts and uh shoulder is a very important uh topic a lot of people uh, uh wear out their shoulders one way or another my dad had a lot of shoulder trouble and he blamed it on the fact that he, when he was in high school one of the things they would do is they'd go down to calhoun beach and they would walk on their ar- hands to impress the girls you know and so he was the one who could uh walk the most on his hands and he also d- had the push-up record uh for well, some it's a
0: lot of work on your shoulder both of those
1: yeah. He just—I yeah. think he—he he probably wore him out, or yeah. he overdid it, or he di- underdid it later. You know, I, I, you know, one could argue if you put it at this level, it, you should maintain. So, but
0: I, when you it, get older, you're not walking on your hands to impress anyone. No, In your forties <laughs> or fifties, forget that. So,
1: <laughs> I do remember him uh, when he was a young guy, uh, uh, standing against, showing me how to to uh, to walk on my hands. Uh, you know, first you throw yourself against the door, right? So you're up on your hands, and you um, you, th- you balance yourself against the door, and then you walk walk away from it. Walk away right. from it, and you can walk around if you're strong enough, and you know you're in shape, and you're you know young. You start young enough, and you do it. Uh, you can walk on your hands.
0: I still think you talk about your dad. My mother-in-law in St. Louis. God love her she was so proud of the fact that she could stand on her hands. And she did this into her late 60s. She would just say, look what I can do, and just, and but she'd Throw lean up, up against, against the, door the door and just be on her hands. She didn't go walking, but she could stand on her hands yeah, at 60. In, you know, in your, that's at the, amazing. Yeah, I couldn't do it at 20. Thank you so much, Dorothy, but it's not for me. You know, I, I she am loved not, doing it.
1: I'm not recommending you do it because no. my dad ended up with a – you know a, a a rotten shoulder. I think it was the the classic uh, rotator cuff problem, uh, and and we talk about that in the show. Um, but I, if you look at it, boomers are uh, this uh, special lot, right? These young people. Well, they people. like to think so. Well, you're not a boomer. <laughs> no, you're a silent generation. I say they
0: like to think so.
1: <laughs> Aren't you a silent I'm generation? I'm
0: somewhere in between. I don't know where I fit because I was born during the war. So no, what do you do the,
1: with that? There's the there's the yeah, what the
0: silent. I think I'm after this. Isn't there just a you're little the greatest
1: group? generation, and then the silent generation. Maybe I'm the silent one. Yeah, I okay. Think that's I'm what not
0: it is. the greatest. Probably silent. I wrote a book about this. My younger sister is a boomer, 47 on, right? From 47 on is the boomers, I think. Yes. Right? It's, no,
1: it's from 46 on because oh, okay. they came back on in 45, and uh, my sister was born nine months later. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And, that's yes, big and what's happened? All of a yeah. sudden, all these kids were born, you know, because these men came back from a war where they thought they were going to die. And they know? didn't. And so they hadn't they died, and, and they said, yeah. it's time to have our family, and they did, you know. Well,
0: tell me about this boomer
1: generation in their shoulders. The, uh, the boomers are this group of people who think that they deserve everything. I mean, uh, the the s- the studies and the discussion about boomers is that it was the most spoiled, rotten group of people that ever occurred had, had ever occurred. Now we've we've outdone them with the millennials, but before that, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what well, you are, Jay? Aren't you a millennial? Jay, are you a millennial? No, no you're Gen a X. you're a Gen X. Gen Xer. X. Okay.
0: I love these terms. Okay. What's yep. Gen X? What years are those, Jay? You don't know. I'm 1974. 74, whatever Generation X is. Right, and then the
1: millennials come after that. Well, the millennials are more numerous than the boomers, and they are more spoiled than the boomers, but the boomers were the most spoiled up to that time, and they expected everything. And the other thing about the boomers is that their mothers um, were caught in a scenario where some would say, uh, and not everybody, that they were – not happy homemakers. And uh, uh, the men came back from the war. They pushed the women out of the jobs that they had had. And now the women were supposed to be at home caring for the children. And And some people are not built for that. Not to say that uh, uh, some people are. I mean, the I think there are people who love that kind of thing, but there are some women who are in the job, you know, were working and so on and so forth, came back and had, to, uh, had to had uh, to go to uh, work being a mother, and were stuck at home. And I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't do very well at. You that wouldn't job.
0: do very well at home.
1: Did you do very well at home?
0: I loved being at home.
1: Oh, you did. I <laughs> did.
0: I really, but of course, I did have a house full of babies. But I I realized once I started working, it was wonderful having both. And that's when I, you know, if you. If you were a woman in the 1960s and maybe married with a few little darlings and you happened to pick up Gloria Friedan's book. Yes. That would change your attitude. Betty Betty Betty, Friedan. Betty Friedan, not Gloria. Betty Friedan. What was the name of the book? Well, it was called The
1: the Woman's...
0: Something. I I can't think. But Betty Friedan wrote a book that any woman in the 60s read and thought, oh, that's me. Let's get rolling here. And you just realized you didn't have to accept what was presumed the your role in the world. Yes. Your role could change and the that's feminine, what happened. Femen- feminine Feminist Feminist
1: Mystique. That's it. That's it. The feminine mystique. I wrote actually it's chapter it's chapter three in my book. The feminine about, mystique? All about <laughs> oh, okay. the men coming home from the war. Yep. The the Freudian ideas. Freud had just died in like thirty nine or something like that. But his ideas became really popular uh, and that is that women should be at home taking care of the children they're right. pretty and delicate men should be the protectors and ha- go out and make the money and women shouldn't be working and uh, betty for dan said you know that's you're you're setting up women for a terrible time you know the, n- not everybody's made to do that
0: right and even if you enjoy that you realize you know women in that era really needed an outlet you know, they would go out and um, they just do a lot of things because they were going crazy because they weren't working. And you had women with great minds who were not really using them. Right. So that, that well, you're a big using
1: them as a mother, but the point but not is... not the same. You it's a it, different It really deal. makes a difference. Yeah. Once
0: you start in the workplace, you just realize there are really positives to both.
1: So why do you think that I have a whole chapter dedicated to the boomers?
0: Well, because you love them. You were one of them. I don't know why. Because they're the ones that are reaching an age right now. Right. They're they coming they to that age. Right.
1: Plus, they they are people who are privileged, right? Right. So, they've always gotten their way. S- spoiled, rotten kids got most of everything that they wanted. I mean, they th- uh, many of us had the work ethic. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, we were privileged. And... Uh, Pretty much now we're just coming to, into retirement and we want everything. We want to have the ability to keep running. We want to have the ability to do walk on our hands. We want to be able to keep doing the things that we want to do and our bodies are wearing out. So what do you think they're going to do? They're going to push for new shoulder surgeries. They're going to for, push for new hips. They're going to add new knees. They're going to demand everything from the healthcare system that they can. And then what's happening will happen is they'll come to the end of their lives uh we run out right we we get we will old run enough out
0: at some time we will right. get
1: old enough that we will run out and then what happens we want everything we've always had everything we want everything and we're going to want to live forever to live forever and we'll be dragged through misery and suffering uh with cpr and feeding tubes and respirators and and then when we die we'll even be sent for cryogenics you know for goodness sake <laughs> so my whole point is that um, that uh, if
0: you're a boomer you cannot have it all
1: well the uh, end of life it's going to come and you don't want everything at the end of right. life there's a time when you want to be able to uh, be allowed to die and that Im- is the impetus of the value of an advanced directive a living will something that says you know when I can't when I don't know who my family is anymore, do not put that feeding tube down my nose. And, you know, we can write up living wills, but they won't hold water when you come to the emergency room and the family says, do everything, Doc. Do everything on grandpa, Emma, or mom, or dad. You're going to, to them. Right. You're gonna do that. You're not going to get sued by the person who you're going to do everything in because they're going to be in a coma on a feeding tube. You're going to listen to the family.
0: So your family has to be on board with your wishes, and we hope your wishes are intelligent. And right?
1: that's exactly okay. it. It's, your, it's your, your wishes that you talk to your family about, all of your family. You talk to them. And, and let so them know. That, that an advanced directive is a communication tool by, with which you discuss your family about what to do when you lose your capacity to know who your family is. What do you want done then?
0: And I would think most of the people listening today have some access to the internet. If you're wondering about an advanced directive, p- put it into your search engine, and you will find uh, numerous different forms to fill out, right? You right. don't even have to go to the clinic or anything. You or get to one. the lawyer. Actually, you and you know lawyer what? I, you can, I, but advanced directives are there. They're available I do, for you.
1: Yes. I do think that it's a good idea to talk to your lawyer, have a lawyer, talk about your will, make sure your advanced directives are done. But... It, it won't hold water until you your talk is to your you. family yeah okay talk to your family well about talk your to your family
0: dementia. right now we're going to take our next break and we will be back right after these words well we're back welcome back to prairie doc radio joan hogan here with dr rick Holm, who has been talking quite a bit about end-of-life issues but also tied into we were talking about shoulder problems which will be discussed on his TV program tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, South Dakota Public Television. And he has two fine physicians with him, Dr. Pete Luby and Dr. Keith Baumgarten. will both be on the program tomorrow night. And uh, be talking about shoulder and talking about surgery, we shifted all the way around to advanced, advanced directives, directives, which is an important, important topic. One thing, when they talked about shoulders, one thing I would like to know how do you prevent a frozen shoulder? That's something that may have come up on the show. Right. Can you prevent a frozen shoulder? Yes, I don't absolutely. get it. What do you do?
1: Keep it moving.
0: Keep it moving. Okay. I took quite a fall a year ago, May. Just about got knocked out. Came to my shoulder. You know, my first of all, my wrist hurt. You? Well, it wasn't my wrist. It was my shoulder. Why did you? Why did I you take tripped in a garage? Took oh. two steps down, hit a car. Kind of. It was not a smart thing and to then do. Knocked
1: your head. Had a oh, concussion. Oh, probably. Knocked you out. Yep, yep. So. It was a, a concussion. A week
0: later, wow. my shoulder was killing me. Yes. So I thought, oh, you know, what am I going to do? Well, the physical therapy really helped. But it's a year later. That shoulder's still sore. Yeah. So it's not frozen. He did tell me at the time, thank God you got in here because you're just shy of a frozen shoulder. I don't know what that means either. Can you explain that? All
1: right. <clears throat> what happens is with any joint, you know, a joint is where two bones come together and ligaments and cartilage uh, all allow it to move your knee take for example your knee if you stop moving that knee it will freeze if you stop moving you know any joint it will stop working okay Um, and uh, let's say you have a really short sore shoulder stop using the shoulder and it'll stop being able to be moved um, uh, you know, every joint will freeze if you don't use it. Now, the problem with things is sometimes joints hurt. and Or let's say you fracture a bone that goes close to the, the joint or even goes into the joint. You're, you know, your risk of losing that function is high. And so it's important to try to keep a joint moving. Uh, one of the things that happens with an elbow, uh, there's oftentimes a rotator a, a um, there's a rotation part of the uh, ro- uh the elbow of the elbow and if and if you break that the head of the,
0: uh, the I can't help you with med- radius, medical terms the head of the radius <laughs> okay. which is
1: at the elbow you know what'll happen is uh, your rotation is going to be compromised it's going to hurt right but. The, the bone has to take some time to heal. And, and I, I looked it up one time. Somebody came in with a f- fractured head of the, the, of the radius. And the treatment is get them moving as fast as you can, as soon as you can. Get them moving. Uh, same story with um, pelvic fractures. Uh, it really hurts like hell to move. <laughs> you know, the problem is I think uh, it would. the most important thing you do is you've got to get people moving or they'll stop moving. Um, this whole issue of human um, independence is related to our ability to move. And as we get older, we make falls and we're put at risk of losing that ability to keep moving. And uh, joints and, and uh, shoulders in particular are at risk of freezing. So at least even if the shoulder is still sore, if I
0: keep moving it, it may the rest of my life be sore you know?
1: It'll keep, it'll, uh, I tell you what, it'll <laughs> yes. take six months to a year t- to heal and then it'll get better. And then it'll get better. I fractured, okay. um, actually, I separated my acromioclavicular joint when I was in You this. didn't. I did. Your
0: acromioclavicular cl- 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 joint. Yeah. What a man. What is what that I, joint?
1: <laughs> it's where your collarbone, yes. right? You know what this, this uh, yes, bone goes collarbone. up and it, and it attaches to the shoulder apparatus, which is important. Right, it is. And right where that collar bone, the clavicle, right. attaches to the acromium of the shoulder blade, right, which is on you the backside. You fractured that? Or you well, wha- it's separated. Oh, my. So it hurt like heck. I sh- went up to John Ramsey, and I showed him the x-ray, and I said, this is really hurting me. I think I should do, You can't you fix this? I can't lay down at night, and so on and so forth. And he said, oh, I had a friend who had that same darn thing. And... He hurt for six months, and so will you.
0: Thank you so much, Doctor Ramsay. And there's
1: nothing more to do. <laughs> he said, "Just move keep it, moving keep it. moving, and using your shoulder." But it's interesting. What the shoulder blade, the clavicle, and then the humerus itself all work together as that shoulder girdle. Okay. And it's a it's so a it'll med-
0: hurt for a while, but if you keep keep moving, and that's your modus operandi. Keep uh, moving keep for moving everyone,
1: for no matter what. For everyone. As long as you can, as okay. much as you can.
0: Well, while you were talking, we had a caller uh, with a question, and I really appreciate the call coming in. This person would like to know, can people just have an end-of-life wish on paper and notarized, or does it have to go through a lawyer?
1: And the answer is no, it does not have to go to, through a lawyer. In fact, what you really need to do is, I, I've i have kind of summarized it in my own mind, the most important questions and here, here they are. And I, I think if you wrote these three questions down on a piece of paper and then you called your family and, and read them to them and discussed these issues with them, you're, you're better off than you would ever be with um, the most ironclad, notarized, paper-perfect uh, living will. Right. So here, here are the three questions. Number, Number one, one. <clears throat> right now, If you had a sudden cardiac event, would you want to, and and we thought we could get you back right to the way you are, do you want us to do CPR and resuscitation efforts, yes or no? Do you want CPR, Um, cardiopulmonary resuscitation? Pushing on your chest, breathing into your mouth, putting a breathing tube down, shocking your chest, getting you back to life and and there's a chance if you are caught just at the right time at the right place with the right people you know a 15 percent chance um that they can get you back just like you are okay do you want it yes or no and honestly i'm i am 69 i've got uh cancer scare and i think if i had a cardiac arrest my answer probably at this time is really close to saying let it go because I don't know what my future looks like, I might say that might be the better option. Second question. Yes. The second question is, okay, n- not that you're right now, what, let's say that you've had a stroke and you've lost your ability to know what's going on. In fact, you don't even recognize your children, okay? And you're in the nursing home because you've had a major brain stroke and it's not gonna be much better no matter how long we wait. You know, it's a significant prognosis is really poor. Not perfect, not absolute.
0: Nothing can be quite not absolute, no but not No absolute, not good. but, you okay. know,
1: you, you don't recognize your f- children, uh, and we're three days past the stroke, stroke, and you don't know anybody, and your chances of being in the nursing home, laying there, uh, is, uh, is significant. And then you have a cardiac. Okay, so there you are. And then you have a cardiac arrest. Would you want CPR? Yes or no? Joan, I'm asking you, what would you want if No. That's right? and the answer for <laughs> me is an absolute no no? No, CPR. no, no. Do not but here's the third question, and it's the probably the most important question. Okay. Had a stroke, don't know your family, irreversible. Okay. And then you stop eating. So then the family is going to say, well, we should put in a feeding tube or we should put in an IV fluid. Here's the big scenario is the major situation is a major stroke. I often will say, leave out any IV fluids or anything, get the edema down on the brain, see if our best shot at getting a chance of recovery, three days into it, you know, you're gonna either start a feeding tube or start IV fluids because after 10 days, people generally die from dehydration. It's not a bad way to go. In fact, it's a whole lot better than all of the other options. And actually, our endorphins kick in so that the 10 days of dehydration it takes for a person to die is not a bad experience. In fact, people show, and the American Neurologic Association, American Medical Association, American College of Physicians, everybody across the board know and have stated that the studies support that it is not that people in that scenario don't suffer. Now, if they look like there might be some suffering, I will add a fentanyl patch or some IV uh, pain medicine. But
0: usually, there's no suffering. But there's just no suffering. Rest.
1: It's the way God has and handled this end of life for all of existence until the last 50 to 80 years. And then we discovered IV fluids and feeding tubes.
0: So those are the three questions.
1: Would you want a feeding tube or not? Would you want CPR, yes or no? Uh, if you, and would you want CPR, yes or no, if we thought we could get you back? Okay. And there's a time in your life at 85, perhaps, or if you have uh, cancer that's spread everywhere, that you would say no on that, f- that first one.
0: But those are three important questions and uh, if you can get those answered and more importantly discuss them with your family Man, there it is you That's will be the, right discuss them with your family and we'll be back right after this message welcome back to Prairie doc radio before the break we were talking about end of-life decisions
1: my grandma had a stroke and she's had had a fractured hip then a stroke she's in the uh, hospital feeding tube went home to the nursing home. My grand, my my dad and my aunt said, "We don't want that feeding tube." And what happened is, grandma pulled the feeding tube out. Oh, and, and she said, didn't want it either. She didn't want it either. Pulled out the food. Flu- they put it back in. Pulled it out. Put it back in. Tied her arms down. A month later, arms tied, feeding tube intact. She died. Oh my! Not a good scenario. No, we need to avoid no. that. Baby boomers are at risk. Well, we're done. we did we got tomorrow night for, uh, for, for your program tonight. Right. Great shoulder show coming okay. up. Okay,
0: we hope all of you have enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc, brought to you by the Avira Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. As always, you can hear and see more from Dr. Holm online at prairiedoc.org.
1: Stay healthy out there, people.